All right. That's good, good right there. That's just good right there. I haven't seen uh, Black Panther yet, um, but I'm, I'm, I was just tempted to just, just go, uh-uh, just right there. <laughs> I'll see it this week. I'll be seeing it this week. Thank you, Dean. Thank you, Susan. Listen, uh, they done gave the message. I'm just going to give you a little cherry on the top here, all right? So uh, if you have a Bible, go with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 10. For those of you who are new here, my name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor at New Life. Those of you watching online as well, it is great to have you with us. Uh, you have an insert in your bulletin uh, called the Emotionally Healthy Disciples uh, Summit Volunteer Form. Every year we get a few hundred pastors from around the world coming here to learn about how we do discipleship. And if you can volunteer one or two uh, or three of those days, that would be wonderful. The insert looks just like that. If you would be so kind just to fill it out, drop it in the offering bag, or drop it downstairs rather, um, that would be really helpful to us as we put this event together. We're being on a series starting last week. We are in the second Sunday of Lent, and uh, we're talking about the cross of Jesus. And I wanted to explore the cross of Jesus from multiple angles because it's the symbol for our salvation and it is the pattern for our lives. And so if we don't have a, a strong grasp of what the cross is, our spirituality is malnourished. And so how do we create a nourished life with God, well, we have to look to the cross and all of the beauty and the multifaceted nature uh, that it is. And so what was Jesus doing on the cross? What was God doing on the cross um, when Jesus was being crucified? And so last week, uh, I talked about the seriousness of sin and the scandal of the cross. This is what we're going to be focusing on if you weren't here last week over the next few weeks. Today, we're going to focus on the cross as blood sacrifice. And then throughout the course of this uh, season of Lent, Christus Victor, Christ's victory over the power, substitutionary atonement, the great reversal, and Passover, and Exodus. And so we're going to be in, in Hebrews chapter 10 today. Oh, what a, what a wonderful passage this is. I want to read it, and um, I believe God is going to meet us in a powerful way. God's already met us powerfully today, um, but he's going to meet us again through the preaching of his word. And so Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse number one, hear the word of the Lord. It says, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First, he said, sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first, that is the first order of things regarding sacrifice, uh, 
to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Let's pray together. Spirit of the living God, would you blow in this place? Lord, would you speak to us at the deepest places of our being? Would you open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, that we would see the significance of what Jesus has done for us? And Lord, may our lives be changed and transformed by the power of your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. I read recently that an estimated 15% of people faint at the sight of blood. The way I've heard it explained is that some people, when they see blood, there is a sudden decrease in blood pressure, causing blood to drain away from the brain and makes people fall unconscious. When I read that statistic and I was thinking about my sermon today, I thought this is something that happens when people read the Bible as well. Because there's no denying that the Bible is a very bloody book. And the blood that we read about throughout the pages of Scripture can make the average person just a little bit dizzy. When you see blood in the Bible, you can see it in two ways. There is the senseless blood of war and the redemptive blood of sacrifice. There's the blood that comes out of fighting and the blood that comes out of forgiveness. And the cross of Jesus cannot be understood fully unless we engage the reality of blood, in particular, sacrificial blood. Not many people, when they read the Bible, they have a hard time reading the Bible because of the bloody nature of it. And yet the church throughout the years has emphasized the blood of Jesus. We have hymns and songs that we sing about the blood unashamedly. We sing about it with a sense of celebration. We have songs like, are you washed in the blood? We have songs like, nothing but the blood of Jesus. We have songs like, there is power Power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. You know this song, don't you? Can we sing that together? Is that all right? We know the song. In my Latino Pentecostal church from time to time, they'd sing an English song. And every time an English song, thank you, an English song. My Spanish wasn't all good there. And they would say, there is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood. Sing it with me. Oh, yeah, good. Sing it. There is power, wonder-working power. You're good. You're Christians. They're Christians in the house here. They're Christians. 
Hay poder, poder. Oh, I was going to go into Spanish there. Here we go. The church unashamedly talks about blood. The church in a celebratory kind of a way talks about the blood of Jesus. And the blood of Jesus signifies that God has given everything for us. And it's language that we know about in our culture as well. We use the word blood metaphorically as well. We say things like, I've given my blood, sweat, and tears as a way of saying, I've given everything I got. When we've given uh, people a lot of work to do, they say, what else do you want? Blood? You want blood from me as a way of saying, I, I can only give one more thing. That is my blood. And in our passage today, we see the importance of blood. We see the importance of this metaphor. We see the importance of the sacrificial blood of Jesus. Now, the book of Hebrews is one of the more beautiful books in the New Testament. And the book of Hebrews is to the New Testament what the book of Leviticus is to the Old Testament. The book of Leviticus uh, describes what worship is. It describes what liturgy is. It describes what the priesthood is. It describes what the temple is. It describes what sacrifices were. And all of these things are important because they clearly define what life was to be like for the people of God. But in this case, in the book of Hebrews, although the writer is using the language of Leviticus, the writer wants them to know that God has done something better than what we see in Leviticus. And this is one of the primary themes in the book of Hebrews, that Jesus is better. The book of Hebrews begins talking about Moses, saying that Moses was good, but Jesus was better. It says the prophets were good, but Jesus is better. It says the temple was good, but Jesus, the true temple, is better. The priests were good, but Jesus, the true high priest, is better. The sacrifices are good, but Jesus, the true sacrifice, is better. And the, the theme throughout the book of Hebrews is very simple. It is Jesus is better. Better than what? Better than everything. I know your smartphone is good, but Jesus is better. I, I know your car is good, but Jesus is better. I know your house is nice, but Jesus is better. I know your boyfriend is all that, but Jesus <laughs> is better. Now, what was happening in the book of Hebrews was mind-boggling. Because although Jesus is better than all the things I mentioned, better than the temple, better than the sacrifices, better than the priests, the Christians that he's writing to kept going back to the old order of things. Although Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, they kept going back to other sacrifices. Although Jesus is the true temple, they kept going back to the old temple. Although Jesus is the true high priest, they kept going back to the other priests. And so the writer of the book of Hebrews is essentially saying, why are you guys going backwards when the new order of things has come? And what we begin to see in the book of Hebrews is, is the writer saying, why are you going backwards when the reality of things has already come in the person of Jesus. Why are you going back to that which is not useful to you any longer when the true reality of the things we were waiting for has now come? Why are you going back? It's like us saying, why, why do you still go back to dial-up when you got Wi-Fi? <laughs> why are you going back to black and white TV when you got HD? 
TV. There is something better that has come. And what's better in particular, the book of the writer of the book of Hebrews wants to let us know is that the blood of Jesus is better than anybody else's blood. It's better than any other animal's blood. Hebrews shows us that Jesus is the fulfillment of the entire sacrificial system. And so to grasp what's happening in Hebrews, we have to look for a moment at what's happening in Leviticus. Now, when people read the Bible, they start off really good. You read the book of Genesis and you read about creation, you read about uh, Noah, you read about Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, so much drama. It's a page turn of the book of Genesis. Oh, this is fantastic. All drama all over the place. What's going to happen next? Fantastic. You go to the book of Exodus, it's like, oh, Moses, let my people go, Red Sea, Ten Commandments. Oh, you just turn the page. This is fantastic. But anyone who's tried to read the Bible from cover to cover knows that after Exodus, it gets really hard because the third book of the Bible is a book called Leviticus. <laughs> and you get to Leviticus and it's just like, what's happening? I don't want to do this anymore. I don't understand what's happening. And so I want to explain a little bit what's happening in the book of Leviticus because you cannot really understand the book of Hebrews until you see what's happening in the book of Leviticus. Leviticus is in large part, it's a book of priestly regulations, priestly regulations. And because it has to do with priests and sacrifices, there's a lot of blood in the book of Leviticus. And blood is necessary because God is holy and because God is holy, the conditions upon which one could approach God were very detailed. It's God saying, if you're going to have relationship with me, you must have it on my terms. That's very important for us in the way we relate to God because I truly believe that Jesus says and God says, come as you are. But when you get here, I'm determining the nature of our relationship. The world wants to come to Jesus as we want to and not change anything. Come as you are. But God says, come as you are. But when you get here, the relationship is based on my conditions, not yours. And so he says, the book of Leviticus is essentially about coming to God, yes, but relating to God based on how God determines it, not based on how we determine it. And so to be in good standing with God in that culture meant that a blood sacrifice had to be made. And so God and his grace, people say, this is a lot of law. No, this is a lot of grace because God has invited the people of God to him. And instead of judging him, he says this, there's a way that we can have relationship with one another. Even the sacrificial system is a means of God's grace. That I'm determining it, yes, but I'm giving you an opportunity to have relationship with me. This is pure grace. But the problem was, the book of Hebrews picks it up, that although the sacrificial system was good, the sacrificial system could not fully do what people needed. And so in in verse 4, it says these words, it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The blood of animals was helpful, but it didn't solve the problem. 
Because worshipers had to keep going back day after day and week after week and month after month and year after year with more animals and more blood and more animals and more blood as the way of maintaining right relationship with God. And so although the blood of animals was good, it had its limits. It reminded me of uh, an image that came to mind. When I was in high school and in college, I would write a lot of papers and 10-page and, and papers and 15-page papers. And, and there was a product that came in really handy because I made a lot of grammar errors. And the product was called uh, Whiteout. Whiteout. <laughs> and Whiteout was great because it covered, but you know it really didn't eliminate. It covered... But it didn't limit because anyone could see your errors. If you just look under the page, you could still see the errors that was made. And so in one sense, it did its job covering, but it did not eliminate. The writer of Hebrews is saying the blood of bulls and of goats is like white out. It covers, but it does not eliminate because sooner or later you have to come back again. Sooner or later you need to be covered again. Sooner or later, you're going to sin again, and you have to repeat the process over and over and over again. And so although the sacrifices of bulls and of goats uh, were a good thing, it was, uh, it, was, it was limited, and it was a foreshadowing of what was to come. And so people lived continually under the burden of sin. They lived continually with their weaknesses before them. They lived continually with their inadequacies right inside of them. And as I mentioned last week, sin is not just something we do. Sin is a power that we are under. And the blood of bulls and goats could not handle the reality of sin. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to do away with sin. Now, as you're listening to me, a question you may be thinking is, what does this have to do with me? And how does my life tend to do the same? Because we don't come into church with bulls and goats. We don't come into church with animal sacrifices. And yet, at the same time, we have our own ways of trying to cover our sin. We have our own ways of trying to deep with the, deal with the deep flaws of our lives. We have our own ways to deal with the deep inadequacies that we feel. We have our own ways to deal with the guilt and the shame that we experience. We might not have bulls, the, the blood of bulls and goats, but we all have our strategies to feel covered. Many of us are regularly confronted with our sin. And even if sin is not a category that you use, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you don't really read scripture, and maybe sin is not a, a, a term that you typically use on a day-to-day -day basis, we all have moments where we feel less than. We all have moments where we feel deeply flawed. We all have moments where we feel something is deeply wrong inside here. Something needs to be addressed. Maybe it's an addiction that you are wrestling with. Maybe it's a low sense of just self-worth. Maybe your life doesn't have the kind of meaning that you thought it should have. Maybe it's a, a deep feeling of not having anything to offer. Maybe it's a deep sense of inadequacy. We all have flaws. We all have deep flaws. We all have sins and we all have something that we are under the power of as well. 
And this is not just for people who are just struggling through life. This is about people who have really accomplished much in life. I've met people who have accomplished a whole lot in life and still have this nagging feeling that they are deeply flawed and they're trying to cover their, their, the flaws by more, accomplishing more things and another degree and more money and more possessions and another house and a better looking car to cover a sense of the deep flaws that they have on the inside. We all have our own blood of bulls and goats that we use to cover uh, the deep sense of our own inadequacies. As I was preparing this, I was reminded of an interview that uh, Madonna did with Vanity Fair. Madonna, the the well-known, famous uh, singer and and, uh, performer and all that there. And she was being interviewed about uh, a deep sense of her own inadequacy. Madonna has accomplished so much, millions upon millions upon millions of dollars, anything she wants she can get, and yet she still had a, a deep sense that something was wrong inside of her. And this is what she said in a, in a very famous interview with Vanity Fair. She says these words. She says, I have an iron will, and all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being, and then I get to another stage and think I'm mediocre and uninteresting, again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre, and that's always pushing me, because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended, And it probably never will. This is someone who has it all. She's done it all. And still feels deeply flawed, deeply inadequate. Something is missing. And you don't have to be a celebrity to feel this. People buy homes they can afford because there's something that they want to cover. People go into debt and purchasing things they they don't really need so that they can come across a particular way. We try to achieve more and we try to achieve more. We try to do more. And so the reality is we might not have the blood of bulls and goats, but we have spilled our own blood trying to accomplish something, trying to be something trying to make something of ourselves. But just like the, the writer of Hebrews says, no amount of blood Not by bulls, not by goats, not by your achievement, not by another degree, not by another possession, not by more effort. There's no blood that can truly deal with your sin. No blood that can truly deal with your inadequacy. No blood that can truly deal with the ways that you are flawed. The Hebrew writer says the the blood of animals can't do it. Your blood can't do it. But there is a source that can do it. And so he says in verse 11 in the book of Hebrews, that day after day, priests stand and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. It's our way of saying, day after day, we're trying harder to make something of ourselves. Day after day, we're trying to deal with our flawed uh, feelings. Day after day, we're trying to deal with our incompetence. Day after day, we're trying to deal with our shame and guilt. Day after day, and no matter what we've done, 
We cannot deal with the deep realities of our hearts. But the Hebrews writer says, but when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. This priest, that's Jesus, this priest, he, he just needed once, that's how good it was. He just needed one sacrifice. And he sits down, to sit down, you, you know you're able to, when something's finished, you're able to go, let me just sit down for a second. That's when you know the project is done. No, let me just, I, I just finished painting the wall. Now let me just, let me just, it's over, it's finished, it, 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 it's done. Nothing else to do, that's what Jesus does. One time, one sacrifice. And Jesus takes a seat. When Jesus is crucified, it is a blood sacrifice. And you have to see the book of uh, Hebrews and the sacrifice of Jesus in light of the book of Leviticus. Because the writer wants us to know that something has happened when his blood was spilled. Something was happened when he dies for us. Something was happened when he was crucified on that hill. And in his crucifixion, because he was without spot, because he was without blemish, because he was without sin, because his blood was divine blood, our sins were dealt with. His sacrifice was the end of all sacrifices, which is why the writer of Hebrews, his mind is boggling. Why are you going backwards? Why are you trying to still make something of yourselves when Jesus has already made something of you? Why are you trying to, 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 to deal with something that's deeply flawed inside of you when God has already settled it? He's conferred something on you. He's given something to you. Why are you keep going backwards? No amount of religious or spiritual or psychological effort will make you acceptable. Only the blood of Jesus will make you acceptable. And he does it by pouring out his life for you. In the blood sacrifice of Jesus, he demonstrates that he is totally committed to you. Some of you are wondering right now, is God committed to me? The first thing we do is we look to the cross. Of course he's committed to you. He's poured out his blood for you. What more do you want? He's totally committed to you. Jesus doesn't just contribute to our lives here and there. He's totally committed to us. As I've been thinking about the cross, I thought about a story I first heard when I became a Christian. I don't know if it's a true story, but it's a story about a chicken and a pig having a conversation together. <laughs> Can't verify if it really happened this way but I'll tell it anyway. There's a story about a chicken and a pig who lived on a farm and the farmer was very good to them and they wanted to do something for this farmer. And so one day the chicken approached the pig and said, let's do something for this guy. The pig said, of course. What do you propose? And the chicken knew how much the farmer enjoyed breakfast, so he said, I think the farmer would be happy if we made him a good breakfast. And so the pig thought about this and said, I'd, I'd, I'd be happy to help make breakfast for the farmer. What do you suggest we make? <laughs> and the chicken said, 
I could provide some eggs. And the pig knew that the farmer is going to want more than just eggs. He said, that's, that's, that's a good start. What, what, what else should we make? And the chicken looked around, scratched his head, and, and said, how about bacon? The farmer loves bacon. He loves bacon and eggs. And the pig, just very mindful of what was just proposed, looked at the chicken and said, that's fine, but I want to make a distinction here. What you're giving is a contribution. What I'm giving is total commitment. <laughs> You're just sharing a little bit here and living to tell about it. I am totally invested in this breakfast project. And when I thought about that, I thought, what kind of relationship does Jesus have with us? Is he just like contributing to us here and there? Or is Jesus totally committed to us? And on the cross, Jesus demonstrates that he is totally committed to us. Totally committed to us. I heard one person say it this way. Imagine a person totally committed to your best interests, devoted to seeing you flourish, fighting for you against all enemies, determined to eliminate everything destructive from your life, attentive to every detail of who you are, never thinking of himself, but only of you. That is the relationship that Jesus Christ has towards us. Sacrificial in his life, sacrificial in his death. And so in the crucifixion, Jesus demonstrates the fullness of God's love for us. And the love and commitment of Jesus demonstrates the love that the Father has always had for you. Most of us have grown up with a theology that says that God didn't like you until Jesus died. And when Jesus died, God then changed his mind about you. But that's not what it is. The scriptures are not about God changing his mind about us. The cross is not about God changing his mind about us. The cross is about us changing our mind about God. Because God has always been for you. Don't think for one second that God has been against you. The reality is we have not reciprocated the love that God has for us. We have not given our hearts back to God who has freely given his heart towards us. There's never been a time when God has been against you. It is us who has been against God. And the cross of Jesus, when he dies, the father doesn't say, okay, now that he died, now I like you. No, no, no. He's saying this is the extent that I love you. Now, would you change your mind about me? That's the fundamental difference that we have to think about. Unless, we, unless that's how we live, we will live with deep shame and guilt, and we will not relate to God in the way that we are supposed to relate to God. This is how Fleming Rutledge, the great theologian, said it. She said it this way. There was never a time when God was against us. Even in his wrath, he is for us. Yet at the same time, he is not for us without wrath. Because his will is to destroy all that is hostile to, the, to perfecting his world. The paradox of the cross demonstrates the victorious love of God for us. At the same time, it shows forth his judgment upon sin. And so God can do two things at one time. He can destroy sin and demonstrate his love for us. 
And on the cross, Jesus Christ doesn't get God to change his mind about you. Jesus Christ on the cross gets us to change our mind about God. And that fundamental shift will change the way you pray. That fundamental shift will change the way you approach God. Most of us live under deep condemnation and deep guilt, wondering, if I just pray enough, God will like me. If I read the Bible enough, God will like me. If I go to church enough, God will like me. If I volunteer enough, God will like me. If I do enough good deeds, God will like me. But that is not the spirituality that Jesus gives. Jesus shows us God has always loved you. God has always been for you. There's never been a time when he has been against you. And so the cross doesn't change God's mind about us. The cross changes our mind about God. This is, this is so hard for many of us to receive. This is so hard for many of us to receive because we've grown up under a bad theology which, 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 which does not believe in the unconditional love of God. There's never a time when God loves you less and there's never a time when God loves you more. His love is constant. That's what unconditional means. And so what, you didn't pray? God doesn't say, don't love you. It's like the, he loves me, he loves me not. I didn't pray all, he, he, I pray today, he loves me. I didn't pray today, he loves me not. I read five chapters in the Bible, he loves me. Can't find my Bible, he loves me not. <laughs> Went to two services on the Sunday, oh, he loves me. Haven't been to church in two months, he loves me not. God's love is not that petty. He's always loved you with an everlasting love. And the cross shows us the extent of his love. Not to change God's mind about us, but to change our mind about God. And so, what do we do with all this? What do we say to all this? There's one word that I want to give us. One word. What do we say to the blood sacrifice? How do we respond to it? The one word is surrender. Surrender. Jesus says in that passage in Hebrews, I have come to do your will. In other words, you know what the true sacrifice is? It's a sacrifice of doing God's will. And he dies for us. And it is that sacrifice that is to be received and repeated. Very simply, through our surrender. Surrender. Now, surrender is a hard word for us. And yet the invitation for us is to receive and repeat. It was Dallas Willard, the philosopher at the University of Southern California, who said the danger for Christians when we're talking about the blood of Jesus is for Christians to be called vampire Christians. And what he meant by that was we say, Jesus, I'd like a little bit of your blood, but I don't really care to follow you. I'd like a little bit of your blood, but I don't really care to be your disciple. I, I want a little bit of your blood, but don't bother me in my day-to-day. -day, I'll see you when I get to heaven. He said, that's a vampire Christian. One who wants Jesus' blood, 
but doesn't want to repeat that in day-to-day living. And the invitation for us, very simply, is to surrender. And we sacrifice by surrendering. To, to sacrifice in this way, to surrender, means, means essentially this, that something of value is relinquished and the purpose is to grant, gain a greater good. That our lives are to be seen as those who surrender. What's a Christian? A Christian is one who surrenders. And the simplicity of that word, what is a Christian? One who says, I want to surrender. Surrender what? Everything. Why? For the purpose of a greater good. And so when when this becomes our spirituality, when we look at the cross and what Jesus has done as the blood sacrifice, we as well are to live sacrificial lives. Isn't this what Paul said in Romans chapter 12? That in light of the mercies of God that we would present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable act of worship. Paul says we are to be a living sacrifice. The paradox that is sacrifices are usually dead. But when you entrust your life to Jesus, you become a sacrifice that truly lives. And the invitation for us is to surrender, surrender. When this becomes our, when we grasp the blood of Jesus and what Jesus has done for us, and we are called to this life of a surrender, it makes us rethink everything. It makes us rethink our time and how we use it. That our time no longer belongs to us. Our time belongs to God. And what that simply means is this. That doesn't mean that we don't go about our business and what we need to do on a regular basis, but it does mean that we have opened ourselves to how God wants us to use our time. That's a different way of thinking about. Often it's, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and then if I can get to God, I'll give him a little something. As opposed to, God, what do you want to do with my time? What do you want to do with my life? This changes the way we think about our money. We think my money is my money. I do whatever I want to do with it. But to be a living sacrifice says it all belongs to you. Lord, how do you want me to manage and be generous with my money? This is a fundamental shift. Where most of us, we do whatever we want and then we go, ah, What do you want, God? Okay, here you go. To live this way changes the way we think about our bodies. Now we say, I'll do whatever I want to do with my body and have whatever relationships I want to have with people with my body. And yet Paul says, no, no, no. You are to offer your body as a living sacrifice, meaning you just can't have sex with whoever you want to have sex with. There's something sacred is here. That that, that God has made your body a a, a temple of the Holy Spirit. That you are to offer your body to God. That God has say about your relationships now. We are called to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable act of worship. And so this changes everything. Everything. And not only does it change how we deal with our finances, how we deal with our time, how we deal with our bodies, it also deals with how we, how we, how we see the stuff we're already sacrificing. The reality is most of us in this room, many of us in this room, you're already living a sacrificial life. I think about parents, for example. 
parents are already living sacrificially. There is feeding and bathing and changing and whining. And I, I mean, it's, it can be awful. Uh, can I get a witness? It can be awful. It's already so, so much sacrifice already. You, you, often parents have to sacrifice dreams and sacrifice goals and sacrifice priorities and things they want to achieve. And it's often women who are disproportionately impacted by this. Sacrifice. Think about people who are caring for aging parents and the sacrifice that has to go that your time doesn't belong to you any, any longer in the way that you want. The difference, though, is this. What does it, we, can, we can sacrifice in a way that's about resentment and sacrifice in a way that's about redemption. We can sacrifice with a bad attitude or we can sacrifice with an attitude that says, Lord, this is my reasonable act of worship. And Jesus wants us, we're already sacrificing. Whether it's with special needs children whether it's with a, a, a demanding place time at work, whether it's with a, a, a challenging home situation, there's already so much that's being asked of us. We're exhausted. But we can do it with a heart of resentment and anger or we can do it with a heart of redemption flowing out of gratitude to God. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit to do this because in our own strength, we just go down the road of resentment and anger and I'm talking as a parent here. And it's so easy to be just frustrated. I just want to I just, I just eat a meal without having to be interrupted. Can I watch a game without you having to go to the potty? Can I take a nap without you just, 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 just bothering me? I, I, I just, I just, can I just get that? And my, my own mind, I've been reading this passage, my own mind has been shifted. Do I see my children as a burden or do I see them as a gift? And I'm somewhere in between right now, brothers and sisters. I don't know where I'm at. I'm somewhere in between right now. But I'm on the journey. Pray for me. I'm on the journey. I'm on the journey. We're on the journey together. We're on the journey. But that's the trajectory because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Let's pray together. Let's have our worship team come forward, and I want to end our time today with, with prayer for those who want to receive it. I want to invite those who are going to be praying for folks in our church right now just to come forward and just line up here and line up uh, at the balcony area. I just had a, a deep sense that today's message, that we're going to need some space for people to be prayed for, because to talk about sacrifice we need, we need the power of God. We need the grace of God. We need the mercy of God. We need the compassion of God. And so those of you who are going to be praying, just come across right in the front here. And we're going to sing together. And really the invitation is for, for those of you who today, you feel you're having a hard time receiving this sacrifice, receiving the love of God. You're just overcome by your sin and guilt and shame. And you just need Jesus to wash over you to fill you with his love. 
And if you need a touch from God today, oh, for whatever need you have, we wanna pray for you. And in addition to that, maybe you are facing a situation where you have to surrender and sacrifice. And you realize you need God's grace to do it. That you're tired, you're burdened, you're overwhelmed, and you just need a touch from God today. And so for whatever need you have, for the next 10 minutes or so, we're gonna sing. And as the Spirit leads, you just come forward. And we'd love to just pray for you, that God would do something in you, set you free, and give you the strength to live as he lives as well. And so Lord Jesus, Lord, you are totally committed to us and you demonstrate that love on the cross. And Lord, I pray that you would meet us now. There's so many of us in this room that are hurting, tired, exhausted. And Lord, we just need a touch from you. We just need a touch from you today. And Lord, for those of us who who came into church with burdens and with fatigue and with shame, Lord, may we respond just to receive prayer. And through the act of prayer, may you give us the grace and the strength that we need. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Jesus Christ reveals to us the God who has always been for us. It's not that God hasn't been for us, it's that we haven't been for God. But God has always been for you. And sometimes it's hard to see that when pain comes our way. Sometimes it's hard to see that when suffering comes our way. Sometimes it's hard to see that when disappointment comes our way. And we go, oh God, where are you? And these are very legitimate feelings where we doubt the love of God. And that's the, the reality of our sinful, broken world that because there is sin in the world, the world isn't what it should be. Kind of like what our brother Dean had recited in, in that poem there. The world isn't what it should be. There are things that needed to, that need to be addressed. And that's why we look to the cross of Jesus. Because on the cross, he's not just making you new, he's making all things new. And it's us trusting that one day Jesus, we don't see it right now with our eyes in fullness, But one day Jesus is going to make all things new. And in the process, we are invited to hold on to him and trust that even though circumstances might not dictate it and show it, that God loves you with an everlasting love. And that he is with you, that he is for you. And so I want to invite you to, as we close, to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. One of our elders, Walter, will be here to offer the bread and the cup uh, for you. So if you want to receive the bread and the cup as a way of saying, Lord, I, I want to participate in this, the surrendering love of Jesus. Communion is about, yes, you are what you eat. And it's a way of saying, I, I want to become what I'm consuming, what I'm taking in. And may I be that kind of person who lives with surrender. If you need to receive prayer, if you sense God calling you, our, our prayer team is here. We would love to pray for you. Don't rush out of here if you sense God calling you to receive prayer, if you need strength for whatever you're facing today. We'd love to pray for you. But as we close, um, let me pray a prayer of blessing over you. And with our hands this way, if you're watching online, feel free to open your hands this way as well. It's a way of saying, I want to receive. I want to receive the love of God, the grace of God. 
And I recognize I have blocks sometimes in me that, that keep me from receiving it. This is a way of saying, Lord, would you, would you tear down every obstacle that blocks me from receiving your love? And may I in turn offer that love to the world around me. And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, receiving the love of Jesus, the love that has been poured out for you through his blood. And may his blood be the thing that causes you to live with surrender and sacrificially. And may others experience the love of God because you have surrendered to Jesus and surrendered to his way. And in the process, may God give you life. Wherever you put areas of life to death, may God grant you life and provision and abundance and joy and peace and life in the Holy Spirit. And so I bless you all today in the strong and the beautiful and the crucified name of Jesus. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.